Welcome to Innovative HR with your host, Dr. Marcella McCurdy. She has presented hundreds of times on topics such as recruiting, training, diversity and inclusion, college internships, technology, and leadership. Hello, good afternoon, Avraham. How are you today? I'm doing well, Marcella. Thank you so much for the opportunity to be on your show. Awesome. I'm glad you're here and we're going to chat about technology and have a great conversation today. And so I would like to get it started. Um, Could you just tell us a little bit about yourself and your background? I know that's the HR question, but hey, (laughs) I'm HR. (laughs) Sure. Well, so let's take it way back. Um, So starting from my background, you know, I'm a techie. I've always been a techie. In fact, ever since I was a kid, I was interested in uh, computers. So when I was five years old, I got my first IBM XT computer and I was in seventh heaven. I took to it like a fish to water. When I was 13, I began reading C programming manuals like they were thriller novels. And so it's only natural that I evolved into an area of technology. I started my career as a software developer in telecom out of all places. And uh, believe it or not, I actually stayed there for about 20 years. And then uh, recently, I founded my business, which is Ask the CEO Media, where I help businesses promote uh, themselves online over the noise on social media as industry and thought leaders. Awesome. That's exciting. And so I remember we had a great conversation on the phone, and I think now would be appropriate time to share your story about the fax machine, because you've seen the upgrade of technology over the years. Oh, gosh. Yes, I know. It's, it's kind of hysterical, you know, looking back and, you know, we're laughing because we were, we were having a great conversation, like you said, about how technology evolves. And, you know, today when it comes to um, signing up or applying for jobs, you know, we go click, click, click online and we just email blast our resumes. But in the olden days when we were young, it wasn't like that. Uh, you know, you had to painstakingly fax in a resume. Well, actually, prior to that, we had to mail it in. Um, And I only looked into faxing because I don't want to waste money on a stamp. (laughs) (laughs) So being the techie that I am, I got myself a uh, fax server software and I rigged it to basically blast out resumes uh, to every number I can get. And we didn't have any web crawlers. Gosh, we didn't even have the web. I you know, opened the paper and I took down all the phone numbers from anything that seemed somewhat uh, qualified as a job. I loaded that into my uh, fax server and then let it run overnight. And it must have blasted out like hundreds of resumes. It actually worked for me because I have no clue how they even got hold of me. It must have been through one of these fax blast, but one day out of nowhere, I get a call from Lucent Technologies, and they're interested in me. And this was in early 1999 when they were um, top company, one of the most coveted companies in, in the high-tech industry. And, you know, that's how I got the job. Yes. And so that story was so amazing because I also remember you talking about Lucent Technologies which was a very large company here in Columbus, Ohio, and it was located on Broad Street. 
It's now the Mount Carmel Health Facilities. But for everyone who loves Chick-fil-A, I'm a foodie. So shout out to Chick-fil-A. It's close to the former Lucent Technology space. If you grew up or worked in Columbus, Ohio, I know you'll have nostalgia. But for our listeners who might not know what a fax machine is, so we might be speaking our Generation X language, um, but can you explain what a fax machine is? Oh, gosh, you know, now you're making me feel old. (laughs) I'm all with you because I remember a fax. And at government, we still fax stuff in 2019. (laughs) Well, yeah, government agencies are like 50 years behind the times. Uh, (laughs) So a fax machine is basically... If you remember back in the good old days, we had dial-up internet. Well, that kind of came a little bit before that. It was this machine. Um, it had a phone receiver on it and a bunch of buttons. So you would basically plug that into your phone line. It looked like a cross between a telephone and a copy machine, if you know what a copy machine is. I <laughs> think somebody still have that. <laughs> yeah, that might be outdated too. <laughs> right? Yeah, no, no, those are not 3D printers. Those were actually paper <laughs> printers. <laughs> we still have paper today, right? So anyway, so you plug that into your phone line, your analog phone line, because that's all you had. There was no VoIP or anything like that. It was just plain old phones or pots, as they call them in the olden days. And you took your piece of paper, so your resume, for example, you put it on the fax machine. You dial the number and uh, it would scan it would scan your original and then it would shoot out a copy of it over the phone lines to the other end. And as fax machines evolved, they started to uh, become software based and they were called fax servers. So essentially, you wouldn't even have to have an original piece of paper. you would uh, you would load a file, so for example, a word document into the fax server, and it would use that in lieu of uh, an original paper document. Wow, great description. So for all the listeners, that's what a fax machine, and for all of the Gen X and baby boomers who remember fax machines, then this is a funny story too. (laughs) (laughs) Well, with that being said, we're going to come into modern technology. So do you have some favorite technologies in present day? that you would like to talk about? Oh, absolutely. I mean, I always love talking about IoT, AI, which is artificial intelligence, as well as cybersecurity. I think the three of them go hand in hand. But an interesting topic with regards to HR is really artificial intelligence. So if you if you go online, let's say you look on LinkedIn, There are so many posts about people that are out of work and people are going through difficult times because of inherent biases. And I'm talking about human biases. We're not even up to machines yet. But, you know, people are getting filtered out because of their age, because of their gender, because of their skin color or whatever other reasons. Uh, While it may not be lawful to do so, you have to prove that it's happening. So mm-hmm. kind of happening under the table. Uh, but you find lots of people in their 50s that are out of work and they talk about it online and they're having a hard time getting, uh, getting a job. You know, and then uh, we also have another challenge, which is 
you have qualified people, very qualified people that are looking for work, and they get feeded out because of technology. This AI, artificial intelligence, is being implemented in every industry, and HR is no exception. And this is being implemented in order to scale the process to make it more efficient because people need to do more with less. And the job market is changing because of this automation. And what's happening is that this AI is also filtering people out from their jobs, you know, because they don't have the right keywords on their resume. So if you think about it, uh, if, uh, you know, we're talking 20, 30 years ago, when a human would review the resume, they would be able to instantly spot a topic of relevance on the resume. But because the resume has not been written for the ambiguous or relatively ambiguous standards of AI, you know, because nobody tells us, you know, what their AI is looking for. So we, it's kind of hard to custom tailor that resume. Good people are being filtered out of uh, the job pool. Certainly. And I'm glad you brought up that point because I would like to encourage recruiters and HR managers to do more recruiting face-to-face so that way we can make sure that we're getting the top talent in the way that we could have more time as recruiters to do that. On the flip side, I think we should use more HR technology for processing and other skills that are being or other tasks that are being done that don't necessarily involve people. So that way it makes up time for recruiters to get out of the building or from their work at home stations. What do you think about that? I mean, at the end of the day, it's all about doing more with less. And we absolutely need to leverage technology in order to offload the tasks that we as humans don't have to do so that we're freed up in order to do the things that we do best. I also think that, you know, we could turn this technology around a bit. I know AI is uh, kind of vilified in the HR world, but it doesn't have to be that way. So, and I'll explain what I mean by that. Uh, One of the things that I do in my business, Ask the CEO Media, is I have the opportunity to speak with uh, influencers and uh, CEOs in, um, in all the high-tech fields of the industry. And I learn from them. I learn a lot from them. And this is you know, from a global marketplace. So I really get a lot of good knowledge and good perspectives from people. I recently had the opportunity to interview a science fiction writer who's also a research scientist by the name of uh, J. Diane Dotson. And we actually had a very fascinating conversation about AI. One of the things she mentioned is that one thing that we need to work on with AI is fairness. uh, Because like we discussed, there are inherent biases in humans based on the stuff we talked about. And unfortunately, our AI is also being programmed by these same humans. So, you know, you would typically have uh, developers that are white males that would have certain biases. I mean, as much as we don't want to admit it, we are all biased. It's just part of being human. And that human 
frailty, if you want to call it that, is being programmed into the AI, which is then uh, filtering out the same people, but on a much larger scale. So we need to come around with this technology and correct that problem. You know, there are so many different ways that can be done. Like I said, I started my career as a software developer. And while I don't actively develop software nowadays, I have a bit of an understanding of the process. One of the things that uh, might work is if we took this AI and had it focus on sort of like what it's doing today, certain keywords, but also publish what it is we're looking for so that we can have the people that are qualified for the job present themselves in the best possible way. So we leverage AI in order to scale the manual process, that drudgery of sifting through thousands and thousands of resumes because, you know, people are out of work. They're looking for work. So you're going to get lots of irrelevant resumes, which tie up the human staff. So we definitely need the technology. But I think we need to be more transparent as to how uh, we're collecting that data, what kind of data we're looking for so that um, qualified individuals, so we have the benefit of qualified individuals. You know, we're not sitting there complaining, oh, we've got 10,000 cybersecurity jobs, but we don't have enough people. Sure, you have people. You're just not seeing them. Yes, I'm glad you said that. We have enough people. There is an abundance of talent. But it's back to what you said in regards to one type of person being a coder and coding AI. If we diversify between women, men, all different type Mm -hmm. of ages, all different type of cultural backgrounds, the AI can be programmed appropriately. And so now is the time for what I call mega collaboration. So As an HR person, I love AI and I like learning from technology, but I think our diversity and inclusion professionals need to come in this conversation as well. And it's that collaboration between technology, your chief information officer, your chief human resources officer, and your chief diversity officer, because the group can catch some of those nuances. And then it's also just about experimenting with it. As a recruiter, if you find that the five resumes that you got back was all one particular type of a person, that should be a red flag. For sure. I'm a big proponent of diversity. I believe that the more diversity you have in your talent pool, the more perspectives you have and the more checks and balances you have. So that, you know, just in case you find that your technology is leaning towards a specific demographic or maybe leaving out a demographic by having all those different minds and perspectives working together as one, it will help us make that whole. Absolutely. I completely agree. And so are there other specific technology or companies that can help HR departments specifically? Let's say, for example, with processing um, just regular onboarding paperwork. Being in the HR, I know a lot of time got spent processing paperwork to hire someone where if we had technology to free up that space, then that could add another recruiter or more money in the budget to do more face-to-face interaction. I mean, for sure, you know, um, there are so many 
different ways to uh, speed up the process. So there are many companies that are still using paper. Nobody should be using paper nowadays. You know, everything should be digitized and filed. There is cloud technology today, which would enable us to access all our files on any device. So there's no reason why you can't access your, you shouldn't be able to access resumes of candidates on your phone or, you know, on any device. And then there are also companies that when they do that digitization, they also catalog that uh, for you in databases in order to make the data much more searchable and, uh, you know, searchable based on whatever criteria you deem important as opposed to a single cookie cutter approach. Great, great. And so another question, this is in regards to people working in the tech field and career development, because I hear that a lot too, that employees want to be promoted in the tech space. Can you give some tips on how to stay on top of things in the technology space? Yeah, so uh, that's actually a great question. It's uh, something that's actually very close to my heart because I've had to evolve myself. You know, like I started with, uh, I started off as a software developer and I kind of moved around quite a bit. I went from software developer to uh, sales engineer to solutions architect to consultant to media sensation. (laughs) (laughs) And how you do that, you need to, you need to really think about the trends in technology. Uh, So for example, I remember when I was a child, one of my relatives, one of my older relatives who were working at the time, I had several relatives who were COBOL programmers. And back in the day, that was the language of uh, choice. And COBOL uh, kind of went extinct. It, it, um, you know, it's still around today for uh, special applications, but by and large, COBOL is not the average application development language. And while that switchover was happening, as COBOL was being phased out, several of my relatives who were very comfortable in their jobs lost their jobs because their jobs were eliminated. Mm -hmm. And I watched their careers plummet. And I promised myself that I would be on top of things and I wouldn't let that happen to me. Well, of course, uh, (laughs) history kind of repeated itself (laughs) because, you know, Technology is changing so quickly, I actually didn't see it happen. I was in telecom, and uh, many different things changed in the industry. Cloud was becoming very prevalent, and I was working in PBX systems. It's hardware, you know, those big hulking cabinets that mm-hmm. you install in a back room somewhere. And cloud was taking that away. And then of what I didn't see coming, there was a big bankruptcy in the industry, which took my business as a consultant to a very bad place. And while all that was happening, that really gave me uh, time uh, and cause for reflection as to where am I today? Where do I want to go? Well, many of my peers just uh, went to the competitor uh, of, um, of the telecom manufacturer that we were all, uh, that we were all, all had expertise in. I didn't want to do that because I studied the trends in the technology and I realized that while these guys might be healthy today, the same technology trend is going to catch up with them in five years from now. 
So why spend all that time and energy doing something, quote unquote, easy, you know, just changing to a different manufacturer when it's actually going to be much harder in the long run? I'd rather spend the time now, figure out what I want to do, re-educate myself to a contemporary technology, and then have something for the long term. So, you know, it's never easy to change careers. Uh, it's extremely hard uh, for most most people. I mean, by and large, it's very difficult. When I was first starting my career, people were always talking about having a career path. I had no idea what that meant. I liked what I did. I was good at it. That was my career path. Just keep excelling and doing a great job. But you know what? The realities have shown that there is no value in labor. The value is in creating value for others. So my advice to people, uh, to our listeners today would be, as you're going about your daily life, you're, you're building your career, think about what are the trends in the field that you're in that would enable you to grow so that you can keep providing tremendous value to others. If your job is more of a, of a manual nature, something that around the corner can be phased out by automation, you might want to start thinking about uh, something much higher than that. You know, how can, how can you either bring value to others, uh, such as sales or, or uh, you know, maybe even managing this technology? You know, how can you leverage that technology so that work gets done as opposed to you doing work? Yes, yes. Great advice. And as you stated, in the modern workforce, our work world is so much different in terms of people are going to have multiple careers and the career path is going to sometimes zigzag. I always thought it was going to be a ladder. Mm-hmm. One, two, three, four, five, six, seven, eight, nine, ten. Um, but it's a big experiment. It's a dance. <laughs> I, it's like your, I like the way you described it. A zigzag is very accurate. Sometimes you go backwards and that's okay. Yes. And so I want people to be encouraged and not feel as if they're doing something wrong or why me? It's a transition that we all have gone through. And I love transferable skills. If people could start to think about the skill that they can transfer to the next job, to the next industry, what do you think about transferable skills? That's 100% accurate. At the same time, though, it might be hard for somebody to envision that. So what I would say is think about what, number one, what are you good at? And number two, what really aligns with your personality? And are you, you know, are you in that place? So I'll give you an example. I'm a techie. I'm a technologist. You know, I've been that way ever since I was five years old. Mm-hmm. I'm also very good as an educator. And I used to do that in my previous life. And my, when I had my corporate job, I didn't do that so much during my telecom consulting days. I, I did do it a little bit. But as my, as my job and industry, uh, or I should say my consulting business was being phased out, I really had to take a hard look 
at what value can I provide to others? Because I realize even the job market is changing. You know, you've heard the term the gig economy, right? And and unfortunately, that, or maybe not unfortunately, I mean, that's the new reality. That's how it's becoming. And it's kind of falling in line with everything else. It's about, well, can you do something that no one else can do? Great. Come aboard. If not, well, which parts of the job can you do that nobody else can do? And we'll hire you as a contractor. And that's what most companies are doing nowadays. So, you know, I had to take a hard look at what I do. And by the way, I didn't figure it out. It took me three years to figure that out. So it's, I know it's, it can't be a bit discouraging when you hear advice, especially on a podcast, because you typically hear advice from people that have been through the process. And the one thing that has always been missing for me is that bridge. I hear where you were, you know, you were down in the dumps and now, you know, you went from rags to riches. Now you're making millions of dollars a year. Great. But you never told us how you got there. You know, those critical steps that we can replicate. How did you get there? And I've never heard that from anybody. You know, you hear things like hard work and all sorts of things, but we, you know, where does it come from? Uh, you really have to take the time. You have to give yourself that time to fail to try again, to think about it, to, you know, to map things out. So at the end of the day, where I ended up was that I am now running this uh, media business where I work with influencers, industry influencers. I work with enterprise companies uh, like, you know, IBM, Microsoft, and, and, you know, the big players in the industry where I help promote them online. I also work with uh, startups, uh, you know, with mid-sized startups and help promote them online. So I take the knowledge and expertise and experience that I have in the technology world. I combine that with my passion for being an educator, and then I help educate the public on trends in technology. So that's how I ended up where I am today. But that space in between, that critical space in between that nobody talks about, there was there were so many times where I had to change directions. I had, I had to pivot. And I'm very grateful for having uh, friends and trusted advisors in the industry that has helped give me feedback on what I'm doing, where I'm going. You know, should I, should I change this aspect or should I change that aspect? Or, you know, maybe I could be doing something better or maybe I'm not even considering something. So, you know, you really have to, it, it's work. I think this is the biggest work that we must do to redefine ourselves or look for ways to redefine ourselves so that we remain relevant in this ever-changing world. Yes. And you said something really key regarding the bridge, building that bridge for the gaps. And so I was inspired by Michelle Obama's book and her book in Becoming. She talks about how President Obama helped her to swerve. She used the term swerve more like a zigzag in her career. And so, you know, a little bit about, about his background, his mom traveled all over the world. And so he had this more flexible approach to his career. And so I think the bridge conversation is one that we need to keep having. So that way we can all learn as mid-career professionals, senior professionals, and even for the next generation, 
what's that bridge? And like you said, not just hard work. I've, I got frustrated early in my career with that one. Frustrated and, so, and burnt out, by the yeah, way. Yeah, burnt out. And so specifically, one thing that Michelle Obama said that was helpful, she talked about when she wanted to leave law. She had enough of being um, a lawyer. She said she started blasting out or physically mailing resumes and cover letters to legal departments at other universities, community organizations. So similar what you did with your fax machine story. <laughs> <laughs> But she wanted to pay for the stamp. (laughs) But for me, I was like, oh, that's real advice. That's a real actionable step that you can do. That she started with the legal department because that was her comfort zone. But she branched outside of a traditional law firm. Yeah. And kudos to her, you know, for being able to redefine herself. And and that's such a great example as well. Uh, you know, it's a prominent case that um, you know everybody knows uh, who she is, and I give her a lot of credit for that. And I think that it's uh, representative of the—I don't want to say the struggle, but the journey that all of us must go through. Yes, absolutely. And I had an aha moment the other day, and and trying to teach my kids how to struggle. Instead of trying to take away the struggle, perhaps we can just be a spotter. So people who weight lift and you're lifting really, really heavy weights, the person who's your spotter will come behind you. They won't take away the weight from you, but they will at least help you or sometimes give you the appearance. (laughs) Because I remember I had basketball coaches standing behind me like, lift, lift. And then they gently put their fingers on, but they're really not helping you, but it's the appearance of someone helping you. And then you think, oh, I can lift the weight. Yeah. And you know, this is, so this is the part, this is the hard work part. And this is the part where we actually need to lift our own weight. We need to put in our own work. We can't expect others to help us in that respect. Others will guide us They'll, you know, they'll give us the information, they'll give us the tools that we need in order to do the job. But then at the end of the day, this is where we put in the hard work. We actually need to go on our own journey and we need to do the work ourselves in order to be able to reinvent ourselves and uh, get to where we want to go. Absolutely. And knowing that it's going to take time, time as in years, 20 to 30 years. I know that was another frustration, not knowing the timing of things. But now after living a while and really being in the deep throes of HR, there is a timing to everything. And realistically, it may take you 15 or 20 years to find your career sweet spot. And I know other people start to talk about it in terms of um, hours. So Malcolm Gladwell, Mm -hmm. um, if you read the book Outliers, so he quantified, that was another piece of information that helped when he talked about 10,000 hours working on a skill. Well, I haven't read that book. I read his other book, The Tipping Point, which is another great book. But, you know, that that is actually a very good point. We live in a generation of instant gratification. So it's no surprise there that we want everything to happen now. We want it to happen yesterday. Mm-hmm. Well, life doesn't work that way. Uh, it does take a long time and you can't be phased by time. 
I know it sounds easy to say, but things are going to happen at their own time and they're going to happen on their own timeline, whether you like it or not. So if you're early on in your career, and I know this is going to sound like, uh, you know, very much common sense, but I think the biggest thing you can do for yourself is to secure yourself a source of income as you're thinking about your next journey or your next phase of your journey. So for example, you can't start a business when you're broke and expect it to succeed overnight. Those things just don't happen in real life. You might need to take a job that you hate for a year, two years, five years, but don't just work mindlessly on the job. As you're, as you're working your job, you need to tell yourself that the reason why you're doing this job is not to torture yourself, but because this job is giving you the freedom in order to work on your long-term success, your long-term financial security. And you do that after hours, you do that nights, weekends, whatever it takes and create a plan for yourself. You know, you can't decide when you're going to be successful because that's not up to you, but have a, have a map. So for example, if you're starting a business in me, in social media, right? You need to educate yourself, especially if you're from my generation or our generation, right? Uh, we, we grew up, there was no social media. There wasn't even email. We have to learn. And I'm not talking about learning how to go on Facebook. I think we all know how to do that. But learn the rules of social media. You know, there's so much spam out there. How do you differentiate yourself? What are people interested in, in seeing and hearing? What makes someone successful? And where is the market saturated? And where are the opportunities? And these are things, this is research that you need to do. And then once you do that research, what activities can you do? And that might take years till you figure that out. But the most important thing is, you know, never, never start, never start an endeavor when you're desperate because that is, that's going to keep you stuck where you are. So your first step should be you have a job, keep it, hold on to that job and then use, use that freedom that job gives you in. And when I say freedom, I mean freedom of financial obligations, freedom of financial stress. And I know it may not pay for everything and you may be tight, but nevertheless, it's still freedom because you're, you know, you're not starting at zero. You have something coming in and use that in order to build yourself up so you can get to that next level, that next step in your journey. So true. That's a great point about sometimes in your career, look at your career as a totality meaning a 30, 40, 50 year span, there are going to be a few jobs that you don't like. But I've also looked back, hindsight is twenty twenty. The job that you thought you didn't like or wasn't your favorite, it still was necessary and it taught you something, whether it was customer service or how to just get up and go to work eight to five Monday through Friday, setting a, a discipline, right? Exactly. And at the very least, it carried you through difficult times. Yes. And teaching you how to be a leader. So sometimes we probably all had maybe a boss or a supervisor that we didn't like or mesh with. And so 
we all make mistakes. No one's perfect, but I try to learn from it. I don't want to be that type of leader. Yeah, for sure. So at the very least, you'll learn what not to do from that boss. Right. (laughs) And then you had really great ones. So I've looked back and had some really great supervisors and you think, oh, wow, that person had an amazing leadership skill. And so that's something that you can learn from that person and transfer that to, you know, the next job, your next business, whatever it may be in in your life, volunteering. Yeah, yeah, exactly. I mean, I've had my share of bosses that I've actually contacted 10 years later uh, for advice. Wow, wow, great, great. So it sounds like you were able to keep that social network, social capital. So that's something else that's really big on my mind because my family, you know, coming from humble beginnings, that social capital and networking is such an important, significant piece. Can we talk a little bit about, you know, your social capital, your network that you can go to, a professional? You know, uh, I used to hear this phrase all the time, your your network is your net worth. Yes. Um, And I can't tell you how true that is, um, but you really have to live in it to understand it. So we live, you know, we live in society, we live in a community, everybody around us is part of our network. And, you know, your next door neighbor might bring you into opportunity one day. Uh, But at the same time, you know, you can't go around like a vulture (laughs) looking, all right, uh, what can he give me? What can he give me? It's more of, you know, you have to put in, you have to invest, you have to make deposits before you make withdrawals. So one of the most valuable things you can do is to build up that network. I know it sounds very simple, but it's really, you know, sort of like what we're doing right now. You know, we're sitting here chatting online about a topic that we both find interesting. And then, you know, the next step would be for us to touch base, you know, every three to six months. And as long as we're, as long as we're in touch with one another, maybe through our mailing list, you know, uh, I'm on your mailing list. You might be on my mailing list. Six months goes by. You know, it's not like we need to be hounding each other every five minutes, but, you know, six months or maybe even a year goes by and I get something in in my email and I say, oh, you know, Marcella, you interviewed so-and-so, you know, I was looking for someone like that. And then boom, suddenly somebody made some money that way. And, you know, you help somebody out and somebody helped you out. And that's kind of how it works. I'll give you an interesting example. Somebody that I knew just casually for maybe like a year. And every now and then we would just call each other on the phone and just talk, uh, you know, about what we're doing. And now suddenly he had a project that he wanted to bring me into. So things like that don't just happen overnight. You have to have a relationship in order for somebody to know you and trust you that you won't let them down, you won't make them look bad, and on the contrary, that you'll deliver. And that has to be inherent trust, and you have to build that up. So you know, if you look around, everybody that you're in contact with, your brother, your sister, your cousins, your best friend's first cousin, you know, whoever you meet, it's just important to be social and, you know, just make it a good impression on people. So people want to do business with you. Absolutely. And I remember reading an article on LinkedIn 
maybe about a year or two ago regarding how your connections, your casual connections actually provide lots of opportunities. And so I also think LinkedIn is probably one of my most favorite social media because that's a way to be connected, share information, provide value, but not really bug the person every single day. Yeah, and the and the way and that's exactly how you do it. You share good information. You know, like I said, you make deposits without thinking about the withdrawals. You know, now's now's your time to make deposits. Share good information. People will see it eventually. Uh, you know, as your as your status grows, your content will be seen and people will take notice. Used to be nobody would return my calls, nobody <laughs> would return my emails. I was totally irrelevant. It was very frustrating, let me tell you. But things changed, uh, and it's only because of what I put in. So it's really more, think about what you could put in. So I'll, I'll give away a little bit of my secret sauce here to how Ooh. I help myself. And, yes. and it's, it's interesting. You know, I come from the telecom world, and in telecom, you have a lot of 50, 60-year-olds that have this old-style uh, mindset. We call it the legacy mindset of being siloed. So mm-hmm. basically, I have information that you don't, and I'm not going to give you that information because if you have that information, you don't need me anymore. So that's kind of like the old way of thinking that uh, went out the window at the turn of the century. You know, many people in the industry are still afraid to give out their secret sauce because then, you know, it doesn't make them special, right? I don't believe that. I don't subscribe to that school of thought. So I will happily share my secret sauce and what helped me as an industry influencer really make an impact and gain traction. So I was banging my head in the wall one day because I was frustrated. I was pumping out lots of good information. And I knew it was good because the people that knew me would give me feedback. They would tell me, wow, this is really good stuff. How come you don't get a single like on LinkedIn or (laughs) nobody on Twitter is retweeting it? I mean, this is amazing stuff. Nobody's looking at any of this stuff, but you've got good stuff. And I was very frustrated because I was trying to make a living in this industry and I wasn't getting anywhere. Mm -hmm. Uh, But first, I I went on a crusade. I I spent maybe two months just creating even more content. So I went on a massive production scale. And needless to say, I got burnt out. So I regrouped. And then I started back up a little bit slower this time. I didn't really make as much content as I did previously, but just enough so that I had something new to share on a regular basis. And I came to this realization, it was almost like an epiphany, that there are things in life that you could control and things in life you can't control. So I can't control when people will see my content. I can't control when people will want to hire me or you know when people will share my content. But what I can control is I can support my friends and colleagues. Mm-hmm. So, you know, that was... That was literally an epiphany, and that re- that one you know that one point that one point in time changed my entire career. So then I decided, you know, I'm 
I've got this type A personality, so I'm a go-getter. Like when I decide to do something, I go all in. And that's why I get burnt out when I don't see the results. Yes. <laughs> we like, steam ahead. Steam ahead. <laughs> and we're like, whoo, I'm tired. <laughs> yeah, you pour all your energy into it. So once again, I poured all my energy into this, but this proved to be a uh, a very uh, I don't want to say the word lucrative, but a very uh, a very uh, positive investment. So what I basically did was every time I saw content from someone I knew, I would like it, comment it, share it. Uh, but I wouldn't just share it. I would endorse them. I would say something about that content that I'm sharing to show that not only I endorse it, but why should someone else read this article? So it's an investment in time, but I literally, I poured all my energy into promoting my friends. And it didn't take long. It took maybe two months. That's it. Until people started noticing me. Suddenly, every time I post something, there are at least six people (laughs) within the first few hours that start sharing it. And then it happens quite regularly. Then I started getting invited onto podcasts and being interviewed. And then I was invited into an influencer circle. And, you know, and and these things start happening and people start calling you and, and taking note of you because now you've become relevant because you've helped people. And remember what I said earlier. The value is in providing value for others. So even though there was no direct monetization for my work, my time, my effort, I just knew that if I wanted to do something on social media, I had to focus on the one thing that I could control. And the one thing that I could control is what what I do. So if I do things for others, that's going to immediately help someone. What's going to be with me, that'll come around eventually. That's, that's not up to me to decide. So focus your energy on what you can control. Think about your community. You know, if you're, we're all in the social media space, no matter what industry you're in. So social media, you know, focus on that social aspect as opposed to the media aspect, and you'll be in good shape. Great. Thank you for sharing your secret sauce because... <laughs> That is, I I can identify and I understand about the silo. Um, once again, that was a government thing, but also a large organization working for a Fortune 500 company. There were silos because of competitive av- advantage. But now with the internet, I'm like, you should information share because if people really want to find out your secret sauce, it's on Google. Yeah, <laughs> We have Google now. <laughs> It's just a matter of somebody searching for it and they'll find it anyways. Yeah, so it's share the information. And um, I was grateful that um, I met you through a mutual connection. So John Maynard mm-hmm. um, was our mutual connection. And he gave me your name and he's like, oh, email Abraham. He will get back with you. And you did. I, I emailed and I was like shocked because I'm at that point in my career too. Like people are finally emailing me back. Yeah, I know. It's strange. It Uh, is. And I'm like, well, what happened? Because early in my career, I was going forward with a networking thing and getting all of these cards, but you just explained it. And I'll tell you, sometimes I laugh when I get an email from somebody that I know because I used to email the same person who would never answer me or would, 
you know, give me something non-committal like, oh, sounds good. You know, we hope, you know, one of these days, uh, right now I don't have anything. Suddenly like, oh, when can we work together? (laughs) (laughs) Oh, see, we have a lot in common because I thought it was just me. I'm like, okay, I'm feeling some type of way or I'm kind of unsure of how to move forward with a person who didn't email you back 10 years ago, but now they want to be like your best friend. (laughs) (laughs) It's not you too. It's the you too movement. (laughs) Yeah, exactly. It, it, it is a bit humorous, you know, because after what we've been through, you know, it kind of feels good coming out the other end. It does. And being in this job market, I'm like, it's a candidate's market. If people, our listeners do what you say, just network and give away the information. There are so many people hiring. Um, Also, you mentioned the gig economy. I think that's a great fit for people who are 40 and over or 50 and over, and they're experiencing that age discrimination, but you can't quite prove it with HR. I get it. I think the gig economy is a wonderful next step in your career if you're experiencing some of those challenges with corporate America. And by the way, just about the gig economy, the gig economy is a range. So you know, we tend to equate the gig economy with the likes of Uber, for example, mm-hmm. uh, you know, low paying jobs, but it's not true. There are gigs out there that are, you know, high end consulting gigs. So it, it there's a range of things, but what it basically means is that you don't get benefits, you're a contractor, which is not such a bad thing because then you own yourself, you know, you uh, you can decide, look, I, I want to do something on the side or I only want to work three or four, you know, three days a week, four days, whatever it is. I'm not going to get paid for those two days, but I'm not a full-time employee either. So there is some flexibility in there. Absolutely. And you're right with the range. There are writers, graphic designers, social media consultants. You're right. It can be whatever skill that you're really good at can be a part of your gig, a public speaking. I'm on that journey of meeting mm-hmm. really great public speakers who pretty much I'm looking at like that as a gig because you can do something called speaker proposals and you're submitting your ideals to different organizations. And so for me, that's a gig. Exactly. Um, you know, so it's really about expanding your definition and just broadening your horizons. If it's something that you're good at something that you like to do, it's there. I know it kind of sounds a bit lame, but you know, you just have to look for it. But it, it really, I mean, it is real though. Yes. And we have more tools and resources in modern day society. So you can get your own investment account. That's another thing. You don't have to go through a stockbroker like back in the day. We didn't have, you know, online systems like ING or ShareBuilder, um, Robinhood. There's all of these cool online systems where you can now manage your own investments. You can manage your own life insurance. So essentially, the benefits that you were used to getting from a company, you can now pretty much establish that yourself. Yes, that's that's definitely one of the benefits of today's technology. Yes. Awesome. And so because I'm a foodie, we're going to move away from technology. 
I, let's talk about food. What's your favorite food? <laughs> oh, gosh. So, uh, you know, it's kind of interesting. Uh, so I'm Jewish. So, of course, uh, pizza. However, I'm also from Hungarian background. So pretty much any Hungarian food, the only prerequisite is that it's got to have a lot of paprika. Oh, great. Great. And I think that's important, too, because um, back to what you said about just being able to make that connection with people. I think we should sometimes just have a conversation from like human to human. As much as I love technology or we love technology, sometimes it's just great to get to know someone, know about where they've traveled. I know you've traveled a lot. Can can you talk about some of your favorite countries or favorite vacations? Sure. And by the way, uh, just before I do, I just want to underscore what you said. So when I get together with industry influencers, I would say 90% of the time we talk about each other as humans Mm -hmm. uh, and maybe 10% of the time we talk shop. But it's really about getting to know one another as a person, as a human being, because it's that human to human connection that you're really working towards. So my favorite country in the world is Israel. Uh, I've actually, I just came back from there. I was there with my son, who's going to be bar mitzvah in just about a month. And for those of you that are unfamiliar with that term, bar mitzvah is an age uh, in the Jewish religion when a boy becomes a man. So when he turns 13 uh, in the Jewish religion, that's a very special time in the young man's uh, life when he's treated as an adult you know, with, with regards to uh, many things. Uh, so it's, you know, a very special time in their lives. Uh, so we, we just uh, came back from Israel. We went on a tour of all the biblical sites. And it was really amazing because all the things, and you don't have to be Jewish to appreciate that because uh, Israel is home to many religions and it's a focal point of uh, many religions. So all the things we learn about in the Bible you know, just to see it that, hey, you know, these places are real. Like here, you know, here is the place where the temple was. And, you know, these are the cities where our ancestors lived. Uh, And then, you know, just to walk on the stones and touch the wall and and just see everything. It just, it just brings so much more meaning to everything you've learned. Yes, I definitely appreciate Israel. So a little background about me. My grandfather was a preacher. I come from a family of preachers. And so one of their main thing, the five books of the Bible, the first five is the Pentateuch, which I believe is the same in the The Jewish community. Yeah, the five books of Moses. Yes. And so I always felt like I had a connection because it's like, you know, my grandparents and my family made sure, you know, we knew the story about Moses and Deuteronomy and just some of the great principles that come out of the first five books of the Bible. Definitely, I still study those today and are passing down that information to my kids. So it's great to know someone who's been to Israel and that's on my bucket list to one day possibly be able to take my family to Israel. That's awesome. Yeah. And so let's see, we've talked about AI. Oh, can we touch on a little bit of cybersecurity? didn't get into that discussion yet. Oh, yeah. I mean, that's a whole... Yeah, that's another big, hot topic. So, you know, one doesn't have to be a technology enthusiast to hear uh, of the daily data breaches on the news. I mean, 
not a not a, a year goes by without me getting at least three letters from companies I've never heard of before that you know some doofus lost a laptop that had um, their whole company their customers information on a file that was unencrypted and unfortunately your name social security number and date of birth and all sorts of personal information was on there so we'll give you a year of free credit monitoring and you know unfortunately this has become our new reality so on a daily basis right we have these events happening these attacks happening and we are deploying um IoT technology which is uh internet of things so i mean from a uh, just a, an everyday perspective if you have a light switch that you could control with your cell phone that's IoT so you know even the simplest thing and these uh devices are manufactured for convenience in mind you know they're not really manufactured with security mm-hmm. uh, you know nowadays we become more security conscious but just 2 3 years ago when these things were made nobody was thinking about security so we've got lots of devices that are out there and i read somewhere they're putting out 50 billion devices over the next few years and you know what you're basically putting in to your home or your business when you install these devices these are miniature computers and should a hacker gain access to that they now have a hopping point into your network it's like having an open door into your company in order to do an insider job so once they're in your network they've gotten past all your defenses and now they can move laterally and go on a hacking fest so you know in this day and age we're we're living in the digital age where our entire lives are online. Everything we do is online. We've got digital wallets even, at least many of us do. So we need to think about security and we need to think about um, you know, making sure that we stay safe and secure. So just like we were talking about with HR, when it comes to security, I would say 90% starts with the human. It's all about Good having good security hygiene. You know how you get these emails from, you know, these random emails like, oh, uh, you know, click here. Uh, you know, we have an important account information. Click here, or you know, stuff like that. Mm-hmm. Um, that's that's a an attempted cyber attack that's known as phishing. It's spelled differently than you know the phishing you're thinking of with a phishing rod. This is with Phishing spelled with P-H. It starts with P-H, uh, I, whatever. <laughs> I don't have the word of it. <laughs> yeah, so it, it's basically spelled differently. And basically what it means is the bad guys are hoping you click on the link, which will take you to a fake web page. So let's say your bank is, uh, I don't know, Chase or Citibank. So if you, it could be a, uh, a message that appears to be coming from your bank. And it says, click here because you have an important message in your account. You click on there and then you get to a web page that has the Citibank logo and you enter your name and account number. And of course, you won't go into your bank account because it's a fake web page, but they just got your name and password. And it's only a short period of time before your bank account is drained. So, you know, we're not even talking about data breaches. We're just talking about keeping your money safe. And even if it's not 
cryptocurrency, it's real currency sitting out there in the bank, it could also be impacted. So we need to be smart and educated in how we go about interacting with messages that we receive online. I'm not even going to go into the scams like robocalls and things like that. Yes. That's another another conversation. Yes. <laughs> but just we just need to be mindful. Uh, there's a term called zero trust. So basically, you know, don't trust anything you receive. You receive an email, even if it's from your friend. Uh, if you weren't expecting that email, and that links and that email has a link that says click here because your account has been compromised or your transaction failed or something like that, don't click there. Rather, go to your bank's website individually or independently and check it out from there or call your bank. Like I ha- I received a text from my cell phone company today. I actually called them. I didn't click on that link. So, you know, you might get SMS messages on your phone. And then at the same time, when you, you know, I started the conversation with IoT devices, when you, de- when you buy devices that you plug into the internet, you should change that password. You know, it should never be admin, admin or administrator, administrator or something like that. You need to change that password because the bad guys know what the passwords are. So if you ask, if you ask me, well, what's the big deal? You know, it's just in my home. I don't do anything online. My kids just use the computer to play games. And I've got this neat uh, light switch. Uh, why should I care? Well, a couple of years ago, uh, hackers hijacked about 25,000 security cameras in order to form what's called a botnet, which is basically a concentrated effort to uh, focus all these devices on attacking a single website. So basically, could you imagine your security camera being a facilitator to a crime, not to mention wasting your electricity? Or printers were hacked to mine bitcoins for some hacker in some foreign country. You'd rather have the printer mining bitcoins for yourself, not for someone else. Absolutely. <laughs> so. Yeah. Yeah, so that's my piece on cybersecurity. It it all starts and ends with us. We are at the front lines. Great, great. And so we're almost going to wrap up. But before we do, I want to make sure you are plugging your website, your social media. Where can people find you? Yeah, absolutely. So my website is asktheceo.biz. So very easy, asktheceo.biz on my website. You will find a media page, which will, uh, which will have links to my YouTube page, my, the audio podcast that I have. So on iTunes, SoundCloud, and there's also a showcase, uh, showcase page that will let you see some of the creative work that I've done for various clients of mine. And then there's a uh, place where you could sign up for my newsletter if that interests you. And then you could also contact me from there. There's a contact section on the website. and You could just put in your email address and write me a message and I'll get right back to you. Awesome. Well, thank you. Thank you again for responding to my email and agreeing to come on the podcast. We had a great conversation. I'm sure we'll keep the synergy going in the future. So thanks. For sure. Thank you so much for the opportunity, Marcel. I really appreciate it and I enjoyed the experience. You're welcome, Avraham, and you have a great day.
innovative HR, to educate and empower people, to inspire and influence others, to be creative and innovative, providing and promoting business data that adds value and validity so that we can enlighten and enhance the community. This show is produced by Podtex. To learn more and how to host your own show, go to www.podtex.com. P-O-D-T-E-C-H-S. Podtex, your partners in podcasting.